Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's Everyone Wednesday. It's also Spy Wednesday. That sounds like lots of passion and intrigue, doesn't it? It's Holy Week, of course, and uh, this is the week that we commemorate uh, the final week of Jesus on Earth. Of course, his death and resurrection, uh, the whole reason that we have life and we've been having this conversation in the first place. Oh, I realized that if he hadn't come, or for those who have uh, uh, chosen not to receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith in him, uh, people will still muddle through and they'll get along and go along until the Lord comes back. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, what happened here? But during Holy Week, it's interesting because there's so much that we continue to learn about what Jesus did during that final week. And one of the things that has been uh, really uh, impressed upon me is the fact that in recent years, just the more I dig into it, more I study, uh, you begin to see how Jesus not only came into Jerusalem during Passover week to say, look, I am now that Passover lamb. And the final one, that we're going to enjoy the Last Supper. That's something we'll commemorate here in the Western Church uh, tomorrow on what is known as Maundy Thursday. And then um, what Good Friday, of course, is when Jesus went before the uh, went before Pilate, went before Herod, then back to Pilate, and then went to the cross. And then from the cross to the grave, and the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. So what, what's interesting about this day, though, is that you find that here we are. It, it, oftentimes in the Western church, we look at Palm Sunday and say, Hosanna in the highest. And, you know, more and more churches seem to be kind of deviating from that, not spending as much time on that, which I, I think is to our detriment if we don't spend time understanding why Jesus coming in on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey as if he were the conquering hero, because he is. It's a processional for victory, but it's also a funeral dirge at the same time. Cleansing the temple on Holy Monday, arguing with and basically defeating the Pharisees on Tuesday when they ask, by whose authority are you doing all this stuff? And he says, well, what authority are you you recognizing? What about John and his baptism? Where where did that authority come from? Is that God or is that man? And oh, curses! You know how did he do that? He confounded us again, and then he basically puts them in their place with the parable of the two sons, establishing what it means to be a true follower of God, and then the parable of the tenants, that uh, basically reflects what they had been doing, what the prophets had been doing for the people, and how the religious leaders of Jesus' day weren't really paying attention. And so here's Messiah before us. Holy Wednesday is the day where Jesus is reclining at the dinner at Bethany, and a woman comes in and uh, basically anoints him with a fragrant uh, oil, a perfume, if you if you will, and the disciples are indignant, and Judas gets upset, and, and why did she use this expensive perfume uh, and pour it all over you? And Jesus responds, well, she's preparing my body for burial. It's a hugely significant day, and then uh, Matthew tells us, Matthew 26, that that's when Judas scurried off to the Pharisees, and you know he basically showed them up on Monday and Tuesday. Now here on Wednesday, he's telling the disciples, look, I am going to die. I know this is going to happen, but I'm going to conquer death in the grave. And so, but how do you convict an innocent man? Somebody has to turn. And basically, um, it's Judas. That happens on what they call Spy Wednesday. You know, for all the people who had been looking for ways, the Pharisees had their own spies who were trying to track him down and and, and arrest him for no reason. 
eventually Judas is the one who says, Hey, I'll make your spy work a lot easier. Uh, he meets with the, the Pharisees and says on my, you know, on my cue, how much will you pay me? And they offer him 30 pieces of silver, which was kind of the price for redeeming a slave at that point. And Judas says, you have a deal. Wow. And that's, it's pretty hardcore, but you can see where building up to the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the the Eucharist, the body of the, the body of and blood of our Lord Jesus, seen either symbolically or actually in the bread and the wine. And Jesus says, "Look, this cup is the new covenant. Don't forget tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, so 8 p.m. local time, wherever you are." Um, the Jesus and the Passover special on TBN, Rabbi Jason Sobel will be leading that. He was with us here on Monday to talk about that. And there's no cost. I mean, as long as you have TBN on your uh, your dish or your box or wherever you get it, I encourage you to check that out. Today is Everyone Wins Day, and everyone's going to win something who calls 800-227-5278. And you're probably thinking, okay, it's Spy Wednesday. What, what, what are we giving away for that day, Roger? Well, here's what we're doing, giving away. There is a brand new version of the Bible. It is a translation. It's called the Readable Bible. I know. Really? <laughs> Where did they come up with that name? Well, here's what it does. Remember all of those Bibles you've had in the past? I remember I had the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Raise your hand if you read a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Hardcover with that kind of burgundy type of deal. New international version. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't like NIV. But it had footnotes, it had Bible cross-references. Hey, this passage is a parallel passage in, you know, there. And it had maps. And the super spiritual among us used to say, man, I read my Bible every day from Genesis to the maps. Well, what if you had access to a copy of God's Word that <clears throat> had the maps and had the commentaries and had the parallel passages, but they're all interwoven so that as you're reading the scriptures, you don't have to keep flipping back and forth. That's what the readable Bible does. And our friends at Ironstream Media have presented us with a couple of copies of the entire Bible and one copy of the Old Testament Exodus, something like that. Um, we'll give these away, but I'm going to give the phone number first here. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. The reason I'm giving it now is because we're going to do this giveaway all throughout the program today. These Bibles are massive. The readable Bible is over 2,000 pages of material, and we're giving away a couple of these. So 800-227-5278. Give Crystal a call. Teresa's probably going to handle phones, too. If you're really lucky, Todd will answer the phone. But uh, that we'll take all the names and put all the information into the big fish bowl, and we'll draw a winner's name or two or three. But everybody who calls in, we've got uh, uh, Robert Morris, Worship in the Word, uh, Holy Week devotionals. We've got uh, stuff from Charles Stanley, David Jeremiah. So that's all coming your way today here on Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. Now, uh, there were some winners and losers in the uh, court of public opinion yesterday. That was the day, of course, that uh, President Trump's in uh, arraignment happened. He was taken to the court in Manhattan and uh, was brought up on these 34 charges. And it was very interesting because when you look at the charges that were levied against the former president of the United States, the media tongue were, tongues were wagging. First time a former president has ever been brought up on criminal charges. You know, and think about the, the historical significance of that. We've only had 46 presidents. So there's really no precedent for a president to be brought up on charges. 
but how strong were the charges? Now, I'll be honest with you, Tamara works feverishly behind the the scenes here at the Bottom Line Show as our producer, uh, booking the guests' interviews that you hear and uh, interacting with listeners and and, and just and, and putting up with her whiny host every now and again when he needs to whine. <laughs> that would be me. But we both spent the better part of the day looking for really good audio to share with you and to put up at thebottomlineshow.com regarding any major revelation. There's been such a huge buildup to the Donald Trump perp walk. Uh, Keith Olbermann on social media said, I'm calling this trump mess. This is better than Christmas for me. Donald Trump in handcuffs. Donald Trump being fingerprinted. Donald Trump getting a mugshot. <laughs> That's what I want. Well, you know, brothers and sisters, let's face it. We like to see justice meted out fairly, equitably in terms of everyone, you know, the, the Lady Liberty with the blindfold on holding up the scales. I mean, that's what we want to see. But is this, in fact, the case with Donald Trump? Is this more media sensation than actual malfeasance of justice? I mean, is it a, 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 is it a breach? Of, what's wrong here? Basically, the issue is, is somewhat simple to explain, not necessarily easy to understand, but simple to explain. The president allegedly had an extramarital affair with a woman who uses the stage name of Stormy Daniels. And Ms. Daniels claimed that uh, not only did she have this affair, but she was paid for her silence, a non-disclosure arrangement, NDA, where she netted $130,000 in payment from Donald Trump. But here's how it happened. The payment was actually made by Trump's attorney at the time, Michael Cohen. And Michael Cohen is, sorry, Todd, I wasn't looking at the phones. I mentioned the readable Bible and Todd just pinged me and said, by the way, look at the phone lines. They're all jammed up. Everybody wants this Bible. <laughs> good, good. You're going to love my conversation with John Herring, who's the, uh, uh, the, the CEO of Iron Stream Media who published this. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour, by the way. Anyway, so apparently Donald Trump authorized a payment of $130,000 to Stormy Daniels. Michael Cohen did the deal and Donald Trump reimbursed him. And that's where everyone on the left lost their mind. Shame on Donald Trump. And we got him now. 34 different counts of misappropriating funds, using campaign funds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out that the actual charges against Mr. Trump, and there were 34 different places in his financial records where they found this happening. But the former president actually committed a misdemeanor by doing so, not a felony. And it's only Alvin Bragg, the DA of Manhattan, who's decided that he wanted to charge the former president of felony wrongdoing as opposed to misdemeanor. And this is where it was tough for Tamara and me to find audio. We were waiting for the ding dong, the witch is dead speeches. I guess if you want to see a few tears shed, MSNBC has just been hanging onto this for the longest time. I mean, I, I last week was kind of following it as we were gearing up for, you know, when this is going to happen. And every single article, Trump's going to walk, Trump's going to, Trump's going to get uh, uh, fingerprinted. Trump, uh, we'll have the first mugshot here. Will they have audio in the court? Just they were breathless in their anticipation. But then watching the talk shows yesterday, today, it's kind of turning out to be a nothing burger. I mean, even the most liberal 
of legal pundits are saying things like, there's a whole lot of nothing here. I mean, I think there were people who thought, okay, well, we know about the Stormy Daniels thing, but they're indicting him, so they must have a whole lot more dirt on him. And then you open it up and find out, nope, that's the dirt. (laughs) That's all there is. Stormy Daniels. And by the way, Stormy Daniels, who was subsequently ordered to pay $290,000 in legal fees for Mr. Trump in his countersuit, because it turns out that the way Mickey Cohn handled it didn't work out right. And then yesterday, after he was arraigned, Mr. Trump was, um, Stormy Daniels was ordered to pay another $121,000 for similar charges in Donald Trump's countersuit against her. So let's go to the tote board, Todd, and see what we have. Stormy Daniels, $130,000. Donald Trump, $421,000. So who won? Oh, it's crazy. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we do have a little bit of audio we found, but it's Donald Trump being Donald Trump talking about this. Um, But also, I want to take a look at throughout history, how does the Donald Trump crime stack up against other people who've been in politics, who've been in the White House even? who've even held positions and titles like Secretary of State, for example. We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Okay, Preborn is here to tell you the truth about what happens inside a mother's womb once she becomes pregnant. Now, I know that sounds really basic. You're like, well, of course, Roger, we know what that is. But the left does not. As a matter of fact, yesterday here on The Bottom Line Show, we did a push really hard for Preborn and the sanctity of human life. And you know what we discovered? that here in the People's Republic of California, demand for abortion has gone up by 400% since Roe versus Wade was overturned and Gavin Newsom started his, I'm campaigning the whole country, trying to recruit people from Texas and Florida and other places that are pro-life to say, come have your abortion here. His campaign is working. So what does that mean? It means thousands more women are coming to California. They're looking for truth about what's going on inside their body. And Preborn is the place where they can get a free ultrasound thanks to you and me supporting right now. $28 provides an ultrasound that will save a baby's life. $280 saves 10 babies' lives. $2,800 will save 100. Make your best tax-deductible donation to Preborn right now. Go to kbrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner, or pick up the phone and call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, 833-850-BABY. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's Spy Wednesday. Did the spies determine that Donald Trump had broken a bunch of laws and committed a bunch of felonies? Uh, Most legal analysts say no, but there's good political theater, and now, of course, uh, you've got pundits talking about it. The uh, trial for Mr. Trump will start sometime in December of 23 or January of 24, which means it'll be in direct competition with it'll be primetime everywhere. I mean, you know, you know, just like the January 6th commission. Remember those guys? Oh, yeah. Massive insurrection. Democracy was at risk. Was anyone, I mean, there were some minor misdemeanor things and there are some people being held without bond right now. There's one guy who's been in jail for like 800 days without a trial. That's crazy. Um, the guy with the uh, the shaman dude had his case overturned. Uh, depending on who you believe, it's either because Tucker Carlson had video of him walking through the Capitol with a police escort, not harming anybody, or because he'd been in there long enough and he timed out and now he's in a halfway house. Either way. But Donald Trump had this to say. We, literally, MSNBC, boring, CBS, NBC, boring, 
with regard. They didn't have anything new to say because I think they honestly believed that the DA's office was going to return a verdict where there were 34 separate counts. They basically repeated essentially the same misdemeanor 34 times and called it a felony. So uh, this is how t- tough it was. Can he post bail? Will he be able to post a bond? Will they get pictures? He flew in from Florida to New York on Monday night. Tuesday, he went to the courthouse. Secret Service detail all around. He's a former president. He gets that. So does President Obama, President Clinton, President Bush. I mean, they've all got Secret Service detail. He went in, had to plead not guilty to all the different charges, and then they released him. No bond, no bail, no nothing. Trial set for, you know, nine months from now. Then he flew home to Florida, and he addressed some pretty ardent supporters of his. Todd, I believe we have some audio from that. Is that what I understand correctly here? Okay, let's go ahead and let's fire away. This is Donald Trump yesterday after getting out of court after the New York Times said he surrendered. Go ahead and play the clip. And I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. From the beginning, the Democrats spied on my campaign. Remember that? They attacked me with an onslaught of fraudulent investigations. Russia, 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 Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The illegal and unconstitutional raid on Mar-a-Lago right here. The FBI and DOJ relentlessly pursuing Republicans. Yeah, and when you compare what he's talking about, I mean, the fact that the Justice Department ordered a raid of Miralago after they'd already seen all that stuff, there'd been cooperation before, but they staged the political stunt. There was no such staging of stunts at the Penn Biden Library, the University of Pennsylvania, funded by the Chinese Communist Party, where they discovered similar classified documents that hadn't been determined to be unclassified, found them in his car. I mean, it was, it was just kind of a mess. So, you know, I never thought I'd see the day. It is kind of, it's a bit of a stretch to put uh, Donald Trump in the Pollyanna pearl-clutching mode. But nonetheless, I think he's got a point in the sense that the charges that they're coming after him for are pretty ridiculous. And when he talked about Russiagate and talked about Ukraine and talked about some of the other issues, you might be scratching your head saying, wait, what is he talking about? Well, let's have a look, shall we? And see exactly what it is that Donald Trump was referring to. because. A really nice piece in The Federalist. I say nice in the sense that it really uh, kind of puts this whole thing in perspective. We'll post it at thebottomlineshow.com. David Harsanyi is a senior editor at The Federalist. He's a nationally syndicated columnist. He also wrote a book called Euro Trash, which has to be one of the worst book titles I've ever heard. But nonetheless, apparently it talks about why the U.S. doesn't want to become Europe. But when it comes to exacting poetic political justice, here's what David Hersani writes. Lock him up or don't lock him up. I don't care. But don't tell me that, quote, no one is above the law. You know, Nancy Pelosi has been using that, Hillary Clinton. And then he continues by saying, that's just one of the most ludicrous fantasies peddled by the left. Plenty of people are above the law. How about James Clapper, National Intelligence uh, Director, who lied under oath in Congress about spying on the American people. That's what Donald Trump was just talking about. How about John Brennan, former director of the FBI, who lied about domestic spying operations on Senate members? He's above the law too, right? Remember Eric Holder? When he ignored a congressional subpoena 
for the Fast and Furious issue? Was he handcuffed and thrown in prison? No. As a matter of fact, Eric Holder rather famously said, we should not be using the court system to bully our political opponents. But I haven't heard him speak up for Donald Trump. What about James Comey, the then director of the FBI? Remember leading up to the 2016 election? It was James Comey who noted that Hillary Clinton, quote, had been extremely careless in conducting her business. But he did not recommend any charges be filed against her because he said in his estimation, the state could not prove that Clinton's intent, even though grossly negligent, but not the intent was the only standard he needed. Gross negligence and extreme carelessness are synonyms. Comey concocted a new standard to protect Hillary Clinton because she is above the law. Remember what she did? We'll take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Stephanie with an F. Cover is in cover. 877-214-4935. Make sure you have her name and number in your contacts. You never know when you're going to need them. And if you get in an auto accident, for example, don't trust that the other guy's insurance company is going to do the right thing. You need to have legal representation on your side. Or just go to cambrightradio.com forward slash cover law. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. That's our Alter Billies meets Donald Trump uh, theme. The idea that the former president is, uh, you know, no one is above the law, and so therefore he should be charged with these 34 felonies. They're actually misdemeanors. And unfortunately for Alvin Bragg, New York has done a not a great job. When you want to talk about criminal justice reform, oftentimes there are people who have been uh, incarcerated for committing felonies that were really more like misdemeanors. And should they be reclassified? Absolutely. But the only time, something like 52%, of Alvin Bragg's workload in the Manhattan DA's office so far has been reclassifying felonies to misdemeanors. We're trusting that all of these are legitimate. There's only one time where he's taken a misdemeanor and reclassified it as a felony, and that happened yesterday. 2016 Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton above the law, right? Remember when she was running for office? And she had a slush fund foundation, and she was trying to cover up the fact that they were kind of running... Uh, well, rogue, as it were. So there was a whole issue of the emails. And there were several thousand emails that were discovered, but she set up a private server in her home to circumvent the transparency surrounding the Slush Fund Foundation. Now, she sent 110 emails containing marked classified information 36 of those emails had secret information, and eight of them were marked as top secret. 
every single instance that I just shared with you was punishable by a potential felony. She could have been facing up to 10 years in prison for each 110, 36, 146, 154, over 160 instances where Hillary Clinton could have been convicted of a felony, at least tried on a felony. But when James Comey, the director of the FBI, said, yeah, she's been extremely careless and and, and she committed gross negligence, but, but, you know, no, we really can't prove that her intent was to do anything bad. Of course, the Clinton family knows all about perjury, right? Remember when Hillary's husband perjured himself under oath? And all of a sudden it became, well, you're just going over these trumped up charges because he had sex with that woman, even though he said he didn't have sex with that woman. Well, if that's the case, then Donald Trump's thing must be about sex too, right? But it's not. His is about campaign finance law. Bill Clinton lied under oath. Needless to say, there are a lot of people who would love to see Donald Trump hanging from the highest proverbial tree as far as his political career goes. And there are a lot of people who are hoping that Donald Trump winds up getting the election uh, or the nomination for the GOP, and it's Trump versus Biden in 2024. Trump and Nikki Haley, Trump and Ron DeSantis, Trump and Kristi Noem, somebody who will play ball. It's a a good thing. All I can say about from what I've heard about working directly for the man, it's a good thing Mike Pence had white hair before he went into the White House. Because chances are... it. Can you imagine Mike Pence had really like dark brown, curly hair going in as the vice president four years later comes out and he looks like race from Speed Racer. It's the white thing there. I mean, good for him. And I understand he's a really great guy too. Contrary to what some people might think about what happened on January 6th, I think Mike Pence is a decent man. But the Donald Trump scenario here really has turned us into a banana republic of sorts. We're going to get into this a lot more on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast tomorrow. I encourage you to tune in. The first half hour of it airs here on our network of uh, Bottom Line Show affiliates. And the second half hour airs on the weekend. But if you want to get the whole program, uh, you can go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can sign up and subscribe through your favorite uh, podcast distribution channel. Uh, You can also watch the video, which is always entertaining, uh, to see what we look like, especially yours truly at 730 in the morning. Uh, That's at MyHopeNow.com. And I encourage you to check that out. Coming up next, a new way of reading scripture, the readable Bible. We'll get into what this entails coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, during this Lenten season, one of the things that people are going to do is give things up, maybe a food item or a a media habit or something like that. But also, there are going to be people who are going to be diving into God's word a little more deeply, uh, hoping that it has a greater meaning for them. The question is, how do you know what you're studying is actually something that you can read and understand? Uh, Today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a brand new project. It's called The Readable Bible. And uh, John Herring, who's the CEO of Ironstream Media, who is the publisher of this Readable Bible, is joining me to have a conversation about uh, why this product is really so uh, unique and uh, different and helpful. John Herring, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on the show. Okay, what makes this readable? I mean, for someone who says, okay, readable Bible, that sounds good to me. I read my Bible a lot. I've worn that crazy thing out, different translations. I've got the kind with the maps and all the footnotes and all that stuff. How is the readable Bible different and maybe better than what I've been using in the past? Well, as a, uh, for those of us who have been raised in the West, 
there were some shortcuts and things in the way that we learn and the way we, we study books that have changed through the years. Uh, no longer do you read a book or a, or a magazine that's just simply in plain paragraphed text. Right. Uh, now, now you're you're bombarded with many different types of formatting and formats that uh, actually make the uh, uh, the curriculum or the book or the study that you're going through stand out. It helps you to learn. It helps you to read it faster. And there's some shortcuts that our eyes are used to taking. That when we get to uh, just a solid paragraph with no uh, additional uh, formatting. It uh, makes it a bit difficult to read at times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I can so only readable, imagine. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, oh, I was going to say that. So the readable Bible was uh, translated directly into English into modern formats, and that's what makes the readable Bible different from other uh, Bibles that uh, that you may have read in the past. Mm -hmm. I'm talking with John Herring, the CEO of Iron String Media, today here on The Bottom Line. We're discussing this new project called The Readable Bible in Today's Language and Modern Formats, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I was just having a conversation the other day with uh, someone about, we were reminiscing, I'm in my early 60s, reminiscing about uh, the days that the Taylor family came out with the Living Bible. And uh, of course, people read that. And uh, I was in middle school at the time. And I thought, hey, this is really great. You know, it's kind of in my language and whatever. And then then you had the naysayers who showed up and said, hey, that's a paraphrase. It's not a translation. You're not really getting the whole word of God. Are you concerned possibly that some people will say, well, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, John Herring. But maybe is something going to get lost in the translation? How does adding graphs and charts and family trees, you know, the kind of things that we would see, like a, maybe like on a website or something, um, that, that kind of makes it easier to, to read. How does that translate into helping us grow deeper in what God's Word actually says, as opposed to someone saying, okay, let me water it down for you? Well, actually, it's not a, it's not a paraphrase like the Living Bible. It's not uh, transliterated. It's a direct uh, translation. So mm -hmm. it's very similar to the uh, NASB, the New American Standard, that uh, is very word for word in the way that it's uh, brought into into English. But in doing so, it, it was just placed in in the formatting that makes it easier for us as, as Westerners to read. You know, I, I made a, I was kind of alluding to it earlier. When you see a paragraph, maybe it's a a paragraph with a bunch of names. Maybe it's the genealogy of Christ. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the, cl the clean, yeah, the clean, the clean pages of First and Second Chronicles, right? Where it's just all the different <laughs> tribes and all the stuff, and you sit there and go, Full "Yeah, I know that's it. yeah, mm -hmm, so, sure." Right? You know, when yeah. I when I do the do the uh, one year Bible, I'm reading through, and I get to those paragraphs, and my eyes glaze over. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, I, I'll skip that. But uh -huh. in uh, in the readable Bible, if you can imagine that little symbol that goes straight, or the, the line that goes straight down, then it makes a left turn. And then it goes straight down again. If you translate that little symbol from the word begot, so the word begot now becomes a symbol, and the genealogy of Christ comes alive on the page because now instead of seeing a paragraph full of names, you actually see a genealogy table mm -hmm. that is translated from the Word of God. So it's not a, uh, nothing is missing, nothing is left out. It just shows up in a way that makes it easier for you to understand. 
John Herring is the CEO of Ironstream Media. And today here on The Bottom Line, we're talking about their latest project, which you're going to love, and that is the Readable Bible. We have a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm looking at one of the pages right now, John. It's a, a genealogy of Moses and Aaron. And in that genealogy, I see it looks like an org chart. I mean, quite frankly, it's like there's Jacob and Leah, and then here are all their sons, and then here are their kids. It's like, well, I could totally follow that, but you're right. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. After a while, you do, you know, uh, Chronicles chapter one becomes chapter three, becomes chapter seven. You know, I mean, just it it all kind of rolls together. Talk about some of the other areas, too. I know I, we're kind of leaning Old Testament right now, because another part, I think, of Scripture that's important, obviously it's included in the canon of Scripture, or things like, what about the the temple of this and the cubits and the this that and the other thing? How do you handle the measurements of uh, you know the, the tabernacles and things of that nature? That again can be those places in Scripture where if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you kind of have a tendency to say, "Yeah, I've seen this before." Sure. Well, uh, good news is it's uh, if you translate uh, what's written in the original text into a, uh, a chart or into uh, a list of items that are needed in the temple with their sizes and their precise measurements and the descriptions of each, then that's what you see on the page of the readable Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, imagine uh, when you're reading, you know, what does the what does the priestly garment look like? And you, you read it, but it really doesn't translate very well into your mind. What if you mm-hmm. had a picture of that there where the scripture is yeah. to help you understand better. Yeah, those pictures are really helpful. I mean, one of the pictures you have in here is the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm looking at this saying, this looks like packing instructions out of something you get Lowe's or Home Depot. <laughs> you know, I mean, you open it up, there's the picture, and then there are all the specs. And I, I, I would imagine, and I know that you didn't do this specifically for men or women or whatever, John Hearing, but I, I would have, I would imagine that this piece of literature that you have here, the readable Bible, is going to be something that's really going to ignite the passion for men to study Scripture. I mean, is that a fair assessment? Oh, I, I totally agree. Men love to know what's in the packing list, what the packing slip, and, you know, and then conversely, ladies like to know what's on the uh, recipe, you know, how you mm. put it all together. Right. So it's really good for both. But for visual learners, and for those of us who are used to trying to discern information, and we may pull things out of the Bible and make our own charts and graphs, but uh, what has happened here is uh, Rod Laughlin, the gentleman who compiled all this, he and his team have put it into this incredible format uh, that he's kind of done the homework for you, and it makes it easier for you to pick up that information and read it. Mm, I love that. John Herring is with me today here on The Bottom Line. He's the CEO of Ironstream Media. They are the publishers of a brand new Bible called the Readable Bible. This is a translation of God's Word, but in addition to just having the printed Word, and then, you know, we have people who say, yeah, I know God's Word from Genesis to maps. Well, there's maps in here. I mean, there's no question about that. And there's a digging deeper type of section. But the idea here is to say, okay, now as you're reading along with this, I I think it's fairly safe to to assert, I wouldn't say assume, but assert, John Herring, that people listen with their eyes a lot more than they do with their ears. You know, I mean, the, the, the visual part of the written word versus the the illustration and things of that nature, it's kind of, I mean, when you think about it, Jesus told parables, Jesus told stories, you know, here's what, here's my word, and then the kingdom of heaven is like. Why wouldn't we use both 
of these resources, I mean, the written word of God, the canon of scripture that's been, uh, we, we believe has been rightly ordained, but at the same time to have the photographic evidence, if you will, that helps explain it a little bit more so we can kind of get the context here in 2023 of what was being written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Yes, and you know, you mentioned maps. Uh, when you and I were about the same age and learning how to uh, study the Bible, you know, at least I did. I thought that the book of maps was the last book of the Bible. You know? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, in the readable Bible, maps actually occur within the Scripture. Mm. So as you're reading, you'll see a map, and there may be a dotted line with a number next to the dotted line. And that dotted line may represent some movement that happened in Scripture. Someone was traveling from point A to point B, and the number next to that dotted line represents the, the scripture verse where that movement took place. So whenever there's a lot of movement or there's some movement that's important to what's written in scripture there, you'll see the map there to help you understand and hopefully put some uh, uh, contextual uh, uh, reality around it so you're actually visualizing those trips in your mind. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. John Herring is with me today here on The Bottom Line. He's the CEO of Ironstream Media, and they are the publishers of this brand new version of God's Word. It is the readable Bible in today's language and modern formats. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Well, I just copied the I hate referring to the Bible as a book, but I mean, I understand that this is what we're talking about here. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, how do we deal with some of the more contemporary issues of the day and maybe even some of the more familiar passages that once you read them in the readable Bible and maybe get some of the supplemental material that they'd add to this, uh, you might see them in a whole new light. More of my conversation with John Herring in just a moment as the bottom line continues. John Herring is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. John is the CEO of Ironstream Media. We've got a link for readablebible.com up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, during the break, John, you were reminding me that uh, this, this is great to have a Bible, you know, the, the actual tr- translated Word of God that has the maps, that has the pictures, that has the descriptions. So literally, I guess it says, comes with instructions, <laughs> you know, for those of us who like to get the packing list out when we're looking for something. But the entire Bible itself, you're talking 2,300 pages. I mean, it, this is a massive undertaking, but you do make that available, correct? I mean, the entire Bible is in this format? Yes, it's available in this format. It's also available in a 27-volume set that looks great mm-hmm. on a bookshelf. Yeah. But in those 27 volumes, we go more in-depth with... Uh, so the book of Genesis would stand alone because it's a rather lengthy book. Right. But then... Uh, 27 volumes, some of the smaller books, the epistles, are condensed so that uh, you know you don't have these little tiny uh, slivers of books in the end, but mm-hmm. altogether, 27 volumes that has much more information than we could uh, put into one individual book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the individual book itself is fantastic. Uh, we designed it so you could carry it with you to a small group or uh, to a Bible study class or Sunday school class. And it's good for that, but if you want to go deeper and and have a little more information, uh, that 27-volume set has uh, even more information that we just couldn't get it all into, Mm -hmm. as you said, the 2,300 pages. 
Yeah, I can imagine that when you're looking at individual books of the Bible or portions of the Bible, something like the Psalms would just be spectacular to have like in a little breakout, you know, book, which you do make available and, and some of the illustrations that goes along with that. Um, also, the Gospels or even the Epistles. I mean, for me personally, in pastoral ministry, I know that whenever you're in uh, Galatians or Ephesians or something like that. I want to know where Paul was going. You know, I, get, give me the whole layout here because uh, sometimes it's tough to get. You know, where did Epaphras show up and what church did he start and where was Paul when you know he wrote that epistle? And I would imagine that what you're talking about here is giving someone from a study standpoint a chance to really go deeper. And I don't want to say put your pastor out of a job, but I mean it gives the laity an opportunity to really dig deeper as well and, and kind of track with them when the pastor's saying, now remember this context, it's all right here in these books. Exactly. And uh, with the, you know, you mentioned Psalms in the book of Psalms, uh, Rod and his team used a, a, a cascading text. And with cascading text, what it does is it basically helps to outline each of those uh, chapters in Psalms in a way that's visually pleasing, but it also helps you to remember the important mm. aspects of the verse. Mm -hmm. So it may, there's like one, one particular Psalm where King David is talking about the attributes of God, and he says, God is, then imagine going down, down a line, the space over to the right, God is merciful, kind, generous, mm -hmm. all-knowing. All the attributes of God that you can think of, and it's uh, all listed there as, as, uh, as David meant for it to be. But because it's not in paragraph form, it stands out to your eyes. It makes it, uh, mm. uh, it, it just really impresses your heart in that way. I'll, I'll bet in it the does. New Testament, you're talking about <laughs> the Apostle Paul. He had a, he had a, he was trying to, to uh, really explain the difference between the role of tongues and the role of prophecy and in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the difference between the two, but he jumps back and forth between verses. So, mm. you know, uh, in chapter 14, verse 2, he starts out with talking about the gift of prophecy. Uh, well, verse 1, he's talking about the gift of prophecy. Verse 2, he's talking about the gift of tongues. Verse 3 is tongues. Verse 4 is is prophecy. And he's going back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> in the readable Bible, what Rod did was he put a, uh, if you can imagine, a chart that has two columns in it, the left-hand column being the gift of tongues, the right-hand column being the gift of prophecy. And as it shows up in Scripture, he's going from side to side down the page in those columns so that it stands out to your eye and you can see the differences right there. It's really mm. the way it's all laid out. It's just a, an incredible way to study Scripture. Boy, this is a great conversation today. John Herring is the CEO of Ironstream Media. They are the publishers of the new Readable Bible. Readablebible.com is the website, and if you want information about the complete, uh, the whole 66 uh, chapters of Scripture in one 2200-ish, 2300-page volume, they've got that available. But they've also taken the 66 books and combined them. I don't want to say condensed, because we don't want to insinuate that things have been thrown out but rather all 66 books are into a 27-volume set that has uh, the Acts of the Apostles, for example, or the Book of Romans, but then also has some of the smaller Gospels, uh, Minor Prophets, things like that, con condensed so that you have them uh, with ready access. Uh, John, we got a couple minutes left in our time together. Uh, this has been a long time coming for this project, and I'm sure everyone at Ironstream Media is just thrilled to have the opportunity to be able to share it with people. What's the initial response been like, and what is your hope for this project? 
it's been a bit overwhelming. We uh, uh, just ask people get to know and understand why this is so important and, and why uh, once they see it, they, they'll say, well, why didn't we do this before? <laughs> it makes mm-hmm. so much sense now. But it's, uh, it's been uh, when it, uh, Rod Laughlin, who was the compiler, the gentleman who translated a good bit of this uh, himself, he started this when he turned age 65. Wow. Uh, he's, he's 78 now. Mm-hmm. And this was his, this is his life's work to put all this together. He's a, hmm. he was a pastor. And when he retired, he asked his wife if he could spend their retirement money to work on this project. And, uh, <laughs> I love and that. she said, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and then she said, well, if you learn one new attribute of God that you didn't know before, hmm. you have my permission. Hmm. And so now here we are, uh, 13, 14 years later, we didn't get involved in it until a couple of years ago. So this is really his life's work. We were just blessed to be a part of getting it edited and put together in this way. And um, now we get to, to publish it and share it with the world. You know, it's amazing, uh, John, as, as we're having this conversation about a 65-year-old retired pastor who said, who had this vision from God and got other people excited about it and enthused, and here we are 13 years later with this massive project. And I wonder how many of us might be sitting on our hands right now in our 60s, in our 70s, and God speaking to us and saying, you know, that desire that I planted in your heart when you were younger, or maybe the one I gave you yesterday afternoon, um, you know, while you still have breath, while you still have a heartbeat, go for it. And I, I, I appreciate John hearing the work that Ironstream Media is doing, not only in helping Rod see this vision come to light, but really listening to what God has to say and, and saying, yeah, this is kind of an unusual project. It's not every day you get an author who publishes a book that's got, you know, a couple thousand pages in it, you know, <laughs> that realize what the ramifications are. But you guys have really shepherded this project and and the way you've put the different resources together at readablebible.com, very inspiring. Uh, take the last 60 seconds of our time together, brag on Ironstream Media a little bit. I, I, I'm really impressed with the work you guys have done over the past couple of years as I've gotten to know Ironstream. Well, I, I appreciate that so much. We're actually, you know, uh, four smaller groups who've come together through the years. Uh, we started as a curriculum company and we still do curriculum for churches. Uh, and to find out more about Ironstream Media, you can go to ironstreammedia.com, mm-hmm. and you can find the readable Bible there and the 27-volume set, too, if that's something you're interested in. But you can also find out more about the, uh, the discipleship and evangelism resources we have, as well as some uh, you know clean, wonderful, nice-hearted fiction if you just need something that you want to read casually or something for you to read at the beach or so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, we're again, we just thank you for the opportunity to share about Readable Bible, because this, to be able to uh, be a, a part of what God's going to do through uh, the sharing of this particular uh, version of uh, the Bible is going to be incredible. I love and, it. Uh, we just thank God that Rod came and allowed us to be a part of it. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, we've got uh, uh, Ironstream's website at thebottomlineshow.com, readablebible.com up at thebottomlineshow.com, and highly recommend this resource. John Herring, the Chief Executive Officer of Ironstream Media, thank you for taking a shot on this project, and thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. It is certainly my pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Well, what a great conversation. What a fabulous resource, too. John Herring has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the Readable Bible. This is a fantastic resource, not just during Holy Week, but all throughout the year. But imagine how much more meaningful your your Holy Week celebration is going to be next year and Christmas and all the other holidays. And just your study of God's Word will really come alive when you read the Readable Bible from Ironstream Media, all 2,216 pages of it. We've got one copy of the Readable Bible to give away and a couple of the smaller books that where they take the, uh, like they take the Gospels and put them together. They take some of the Minor Prophets and put them together. So we have two of those as well. It's Everyone Wednesday, so everyone's going to win something, but 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got three of these resources from Ironstream Media and our friends with the Readable Bible. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to take a final look at why this day is so important and why this Bible is such a valuable resource for understanding its importance. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to John Herring, the uh, CEO of Ironstream Media, uh, the publishers of this brand new resource called The Readable Bible. It's a 2,000 plus page uh, collection of, of course, the translated Word of God, uh, translated into English for our purposes, but then also with pictures and maps and descriptions, and uh, especially when you get to those Old Testament things uh, where they talk about the size of the tabernacle and you know how big the cups were in the sea of this and whatever. Some of the things that we do have a tendency to gloss over, let's be real, um, but it makes a lot more sense reading it here. And I'm so grateful here on this Everyone Wednesday, we have not one, not two, not but three copies of these readable Bible products to give away. Uh, two of the smaller versions, in addition to, they carry a couple of different books of the Bible, in addition to one of the entire uh, copies of God's Word in this readable Bible format. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, go get them. Um, everybody else who calls in and doesn't win one of those resources is going to get something. We've got calendars from Charles Stanley. We've got resources from David Jeremiah. We have, uh, I still believe we have a few of the Holy Week devotionals from Robert Morris at Worship in the Word. So you, you, no one's going away empty-handed today, but I'm sure you will appreciate these uh, these resources mightily. You know, it's interesting. Have you ever heard the expression, do I have to draw you a picture? 
I think the answer is yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about it, our words are very important. I don't ever want to discount the value of words. Jesus Christ is not called the living picture. He's called the living word of God. Um, God's word spoke authority into the creation of mankind. It's the final say-so in terms of the rule of law, what establishes our morality. Words are important. But sociologists tell us that oftentimes when it comes to people and words, the words only make up 7% of the actual communication. It's body language, it's tone of voice, it's uh, uh, volume, loud or soft. It's, um, you know, can I visualize what's actually happening here? And this is key for us to understand. The beautiful thing about God and God's word and about Jesus is when Jesus Christ walked the earth, he looked like everybody else. Fully God and fully man. Well, there's a reason for that, and that is God's word tells us that we are created in God's image. So, of course, God would look like us when he was walking the earth because we look like him is the more accurate way to describe it. But then when it comes to the visual in the picture, there are a lot of people who get hung up on words because they like the sound of them. Um, In tomorrow's National Crawford Roundtable podcast, what you're going to hear is uh, us discussing the fact that when it comes to political narratives these days... um, the emotions win, you know, how people feel about what they're hearing and what they're seeing, not necessarily what they think about it is what's driving a lot of public policy. And that's unfortunate because at the end of the day, God's spoken word and God's written word are the ultimate authority. Having something like the readable Bible as a resource just drives home how much God loves us. And that is good news. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider's up next. For those who remain on the network, my take on what's happening today and what happened yesterday spiritually during Holy Week. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back or welcome to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and good to have you along for the ride today. Still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. John Harrington, with the, our guest earlier today here on the program and such a great, uh, grateful opportunity we had to take advantage of that conversation with John to talk about the brand new readable Bible, John Herring. Um, the, the idea that the Bible wasn't readable before, it's kind of a stretch, but if you've ever read scripture and you've had one of those ones that had maybe some Bible commentary, some study notes, the parallel passage things, the maps and stuff in the back of the book, you understand how important it is to be able to put all that stuff in context. And if you've ever, this is the reason why I like the readable Bible. It has all that stuff right in hand. Now, sure, it doesn't mean you can just power right on through the readings because it's got maps and it's got subheadings and notes and parallel passages page by page. But what you get with this readable Bible is a much easier way of reading and understanding, especially if you've ever gone through the Old Testament and they talk about the, you know, the, the Temple Mount, they talk about the uh, the tabernacle, they talk about all these things, and the builders are to make it one cubit by four cubits by ten cubits, and, you know, using a, a sea of this, and, a, and you don't fully get the picture like I do. Literally now with the readable Bible, you will get the whole picture. We have three books that we're giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278. The first is the actual readable Bible, and this is a big deal. The readable Bible is 2,216 pages. It's massive, right? We should be doing like a week-long drawing. What is the Bible special to you for this thing? But we will be picking one winner to win that. Uh, We also have two different uh, copies of uh, the kind of uh, subsets of this readable Bible. In addition, Ironstream Media, who's publishing this, 
is also publishing it in easier to digest uh, kind of mini books, if you will. The Bible, of course, has 66 books in it. Uh, what Ironstream has done is they formed 27 separate smaller books that have like a couple of uh, the epistles in them or a couple of the gospels together, a couple of minor prophets or major prophets. So you don't have to ha carry the whole 2,200 pages around with you. You can have these for study references. We've got two of those to give away as well. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We also have uh, Robert Morris devotionals and Charles Stanley calendars and all sorts of things to give away. So everyone's going to win something today. Hopefully you are going to be one of those winners, if you so choose, 800-227-5278. It's Holy Week here, and it's interesting to see how many people have been looking at the uh, the trial of Donald Trump, you know, the, the, the Donald Trump surrenders in court, etc. Matter of fact, if you listen to uh, the National Crawford Roundtable podcast for this week, it should be up now wherever you get your podcasts. The video will be up soon as well. Um, in this week's edition of the program, that you won't hear me in the first 15 minutes or so because I had some tech issues with my mic. I don't know what the problem was, but we, we figured it out later. But we talked about the, the Trump arrest, the felonies that were really misdemeanors, that Alvin Bragg, the DA in Manhattan, has taken at least half of the, uh, the, the felony charges that he inherited when he became district attorney in Manhattan and rewrote wrote them as misdemeanors uh, just because they're trying to make it easier for people who are habitual in crime to not have to be habitual in crime, I guess. But the fact that it's only one time that he's ever taken a misdemeanor and turned it into a felony, and that's with Donald Trump. 34 different counts and the media were so disappointed because they really didn't have I mean you're going to hear this pun a lot but the charges were pretty much trumped up against him it kind of reminds me of Holy Week in the sense I mean not that anyone would should ever confuse Donald Trump with Jesus Christ or any of us other than that they see so much Christ in us that we find our identity in him but during this trial people are saying well this is ridiculous I mean most people get upset with a righteous indignation when we see someone who has not committed a crime or someone who committed a minor crime be charged with a major crime. Uh, imagine what it was like for the trial of Jesus. You know, the idea that the Pharisees wanted to arrest him. And yet when they not only wanted to arrest him, they wanted him gone, D-E-D, -E dead. Remember, that's the reason they made their appeal to Pilate, who eventually took it to Herod and back to Pilate, was the fact that, I mean, they, in the Jewish court, they had no way of putting someone to death, but the Roman court did. So they needed the state to do what they believed was God's work, not realizing that the Son of God, God incarnate, was right in front of them, or maybe realizing and not caring. I'm, it's anyone's guess. One day it will all be revealed. But let's take a look at the events of, we're on this day Wednesday here, and this is the time where if you look at any good social media calendar, here's what you find. It'll say Holy Week, and then it'll say Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and uh, Easter Sunday maybe Holy Saturday. May, well, and some calendars don't even have Monday Thursday on it. As we'll talk about tomorrow, ad nauseum, I'm devoting uh, the first hour of the Bottom Line show to talking about kind of a summary of what happened in Holy Week, but also uh, looking at Monday Thursday and why I think it's right for Christians to celebrate Monday Thursday and Good Friday separately, even though if you look at the way the Jewish community marked time, when the sun set the day before Passover, Jesus has the final Passover, and he does so to not violate the Passover for the people who would be having Passover. He says, look, everyone else is going to do this tomorrow. We're doing this now because I will be in the grave by tomorrow. 
So we're doing this now because I'm instituting a new covenant, which is in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. And so it's interesting when you look at the days because everybody gets Palm Sunday. That's Jesus riding in the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, and doing two things simultaneously, as my English friends would say. The first thing he's doing is he's riding in majestically as a king would once the king had triumphed over the king's army, had triumphed over another village and other people. They would ride in basically to say, hey, there's a new sheriff in town and uh, you're going to throw a parade for me because I've sacked your land, I've pillaged, I've, <laughs> I've enslaved, you know, I've put that in. Ironically, here comes Jesus to say, look, I'm riding in saying I'm conquering sin and death so that you might be free, not that you would be enslaved. I'm conquering sin and death, not you. The sin and death is conquering you. I will conquer sin and death so you can have eternal life. So that's one thing that we can hold on to. At the same time, though, it's also a funeral procession because Jesus is writing and saying, look, I am going to go lay down my life for you so that I can take this rightful place as the king riding in. That's all upon Sunday. Then on Holy Monday, that's when Jesus went into the temple and he saw the money changers uh, ripping off the poorest of the poor, uh, forcing people to convert their dollars from outside currency into temple dollars, if you will, to pay a temple tax in Jewish currency, charging usuries, and he was not having it. Overturning tables, barking at people, and this is a massive, let's not underscore this, or let's not understate the fact, there were literally potentially millions of people there, hundreds of thousands of people. And they're all coming to this one temple that's maybe 200 meters long. I mean, it's, it's a tight space. And there's one guy, Jesus, telling everybody else where they're going unless they don't get right. And the Pharisees are looking at him. And what's interesting is that on Holy Tuesday, which we commemorated yesterday, Holy Tuesday is the day when basically Jesus comes back to the temple and the Pharisees are there, and not once do they ask him, why did you do this? What they asked him was, by what authority do you do this? They're not questioning what he did because they knew that what he did was right. They knew that what they were doing was wrong. This is similar to what you saw with Martin Luther in the Reformation, where he challenged the Catholic authorities in his 95 theses, one of them going after the indulgences, if you will. Remember the the sale of indulgences. And the idea that somebody who was well healed, who had a proclivity for drunkenness or fornication or whatever, could somehow prepay what their penance would be, sin anyway, and then come back and do three Hail Marys or Our Fathers or whatever and, and get away with it. And, 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 and Luther said, no, that's, we shouldn't be like that. We are sinful, fallen people, but we're to repent and we're to do that of our own volition, not because we have some deal with the, the, the main church. In the same way, here's Jesus looking at these Pharisees and the Pharisees are looking at Jesus going, well, yeah, we did do that. Yeah, when somebody was really poor would come up with their two sparrows, we would look at the sparrows that they paid a penny for or a denarii, a day's wages outside the temple. And we would look at that and say, that's not any good because we had our vendors who were approved by us in there selling those same two types of birds for 75 denarii instead of one. And of course, they got money for their trouble and we got a lot of money for our trouble. Remember, Jesus is the Jesus of proportions. 
right? The widow's might more important than the rich guy putting in his big money. Why? Because Jesus says, look, he's got plenty of money. He gave a lot of money, but he still has a lot of money left. This woman has two mites, two pennies, two. That's all she's got to live on. And she basically put her entire fortune, if you will, in the offering. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that kind of dedication. So when Jesus goes back on Holy Tuesday to the temple, the question the Pharisees ask is not, why did you overturn the tables? Why did you get so upset? It's by what authority did you do that? And so basically he, you know, they're trying to goad him to answer the question by saying, well, I'm the son of God, so of course I could do that. But instead, he answers that question with another question. He says, I'll answer your question once you answer my question. And what was that question you asked? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. John Herring was kind enough to join us from Ironstream Media, where he's the publisher and uh, the CEO, and to talk about the readable Bible. And we've got three different versions of this readable Bible. We've got the entire readable Bible, all 2,216 pages of it, with maps and commentaries and pictures and descriptions all woven throughout the fabric of scripture, not just the, here's the map section, here's the commentary section. It's very easy to use. We've got the whole Bible and then a two of the smaller ones that carry, they have 27 different volumes that carry uh, the 66 books of the Bible in packets. Like, you know, here's a couple of Paul's epistles or here are the gospels or here are a couple of the minor prophets. We have three resources total to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, we're talking about Holy Week. We've gotten through Palm Sunday and Holy Monday. On Holy Tuesday, Jesus went to the temple and went back to see what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees asked him a question, not why did you overturn the tables, but by what authority? And Jesus' response is, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, John the Baptist, when he was preaching and teaching and baptizing, by what authority did he do that under? Was it under God's authority or was he doing it because people thought he was popular and because he was, and uh, he, he did it because the crowd would put up with it. And so they huddle and say, ah, if we say it's God, then they're gonna, he's going to say, well, you're Pharisees and you're supposed to be the men of God, so why didn't you accept him? 
But if we say it's of the people, then they're going to say, well, you're men of God. Why did you let the crowd dictate what's popular? So they respond by saying, we don't know. And Jesus responds by saying, then I'm not going to answer your question. But then Jesus does a very Jesus thing. It's good parenting here too. He forces them to answer the question anyway by presenting the parable of the two sons. One son, the father has a vineyard, has two sons, asks the first son, will you go work for me in the field today? The, father, the son says, yes, I will, and then doesn't do it. The second son says, no, I won't, but then he does it, and Jesus asks them, which son obeyed his father? And the Pharisees begrudgingly answer, well, the one who actually did his will. And then Jesus says, you know what? That's a good answer. And tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into heaven before you because they already know that. They already believe it. They already trust it. They know that it's not about saying you're going to do something. It's actually what you do that's the demonstration of how you live your life. And you guys aren't demonstrating that at all. You're totally playing to the world and calling yourself Pharisees. And then... He takes it a step further to foreshadow who he is. You want to know by whose authority? He tells him the parable of the tenants. And the parable of the tenants is Matthew 21, where Jesus says, look, there was a guy, he was a vineyard owner, uh, and he owns a vineyard, hires some workers to work it, goes on a business trip and says, I'm going to send one of my agents every so often to collect the rent from you guys. So he sends one and the tenants are out there. They're having a good harvest. They're making a lot of money. They don't want to pay this guy. So they beat him up and send him on his way. Then another one, beat him up, send him on his way. A third one, beat him up and send him on his way. Finally, the landowner says, I'll send my son. They won't beat him up. They'll respect him because he's basically me. The son shows up and they say, hey, boy, this is the heir. If we kill him, we'll just tell everybody his dad's gone and he's dead and this is our property. Well, you could see the parallel. The parallel is, you know, the landowner, the vineyard owner is God and the vineyard workers are us and all the representatives that the vineyard owner sent to collect and give the message from the owner were the prophets of the Old Testament. And then the son, of course, is Jesus. And basically what he tells them is, hey, look, you know, here's what's going to happen. I'm here and I'm telling you what God's will is and God's word is and you're going to try to kill me but they don't know he's got a little something up his sleeve. <laughs> and that little something up his sleeve, of course, is the resurrection that would happen on the third day. So we find ourselves now on a day that's called, well, some people call it Holy Wednesday. Some people call it Silent Wednesday because there's not a lot that happened on this day, but two events did happen. And now we've learned from history that it has actually been given the name of Spy Wednesday. So why is Spy Wednesday such a big deal? Well, Spy Wednesday is the day when we commemorate the fact that it took somebody working undercover, as it were, to turn Jesus in. Now, we know who that spy was, obviously. I mean, that's Judas Iscariot. The fact that Judas is the one who has that reputation of being the one who, uh, whom Satan entered and he went and betrayed the Lord, we always think about Judas on Maundy Thursday. But um, it's interesting because when we think of uh, the Monday Thursday thing, that's fairly well known. The disciples are all gathered in the upper room. They're having the last Passover with Jesus. And then Jesus says, you know, I'm going to dip the bread into the cup, the body and the blood. And the one to whom I give it to is the one who's going to betray me. 
and it's Judas. And that's when Judas runs to the Pharisees and says, all right, he's headed, I know where he's going. He's going to the Mount of Olives. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he always goes when he wants to think or do something important. And he'll be there. He'll be there. And they give him 30 pieces of silver, which from what I understand is the going rate or was the going rate for the redemption of a slave. Basically, they were saying the life of Jesus was worth about 30 pieces of silver. And you can read in scripture what Judas wound up doing with the 30 pieces. He didn't want it after a while. It was blood money. But how was that arrangement set up? Do you think Judas, Judas just showed up out of nowhere and said, hey, Pharisees, I know where to find you and you know where to find me. Basically, Spy Wednesday is the day when the high priests got together and met with Judas Iscariot. And, you know, you've realized these guys were really feeling the pressure now. They were threatened by Jesus to begin with. I mean, there's no question about it. Here comes this carpenter from Nazareth, and he's casting out demons and healing the sick, and the blind, the blind can see, and the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, the mute can speak. I mean, it's just, it's really, I, I hate to say dumb. I mean, it has such a negative connotation in our culture. But Jesus is doing this stuff and all these people are following him and not everyone's staying with him. Remember, there were a couple times where his teaching was tough and half the crowd would leave and say, well, I've had enough of this. But to the true believers, the true disciples who hung in there with him, Jesus was a massive threat to the Sanhedrin. He's a massive threat to the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They, they, were, they were not feeling, as the kids would say in the modern culture, they were not feeling what Jesus was doing. So the scenario for Spy Wednesday goes something like this. Judas is stirred by the power of the enemy to find the high priest and turn Jesus in. But what was the event that turned him over? What was the event that made him say, I'm going to play double agent here? Well, we'll take a look at that event coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Final opportunity for you to call in for the readable Bible uh, from our friends at Ironstream Media, 2,216 pages in all, with pictures and maps and descriptions um, of everything that you read about in Scripture and that we like to study. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We have one copy of the entire readable Bible. We have a couple of the smaller uh, sub-books from that as well, and everybody who calls in is going to win something today here on this Spy Wednesday. You know, in uh, 
the Holy Week account of the life of Jesus, we see in Matthew 21, there's a lot written about what we would call Holy uh, Palm Sunday, Holy Monday, and Holy Tuesday. And then from Matthew 22 through 25, he does a tremendous amount of teaching, parabolic teaching, parable of the virgins, um, wedding banquet. There's all sorts of things in there that are worth our time. But he also does the seven woes to the Pharisees. And you can see why things are really burning to a fever pitch. By the time we get to Matthew 26, Matthew writes, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is only two days away. That's key because that tells us it's Wednesday because Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover on what we would call Maundy Thursday or the beginning. He's going to celebrate it at the start of the day before Passover, not at the end as the Jews would do. So he says, uh, the son of man will be handed over to be crucified the Passover. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So verse 6, Matthew 26, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining. He was there at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. The perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Now that stopped them in their tracks. Truly, I tell you, wherever the, this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. But then in Matthew 26, verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And thus the reference to Spy Wednesday. Uh, this is the day when Judas basically agrees to become a double agent and sell Jesus out. Notice what happened, though. The thing that the, the disciples were indignant about, here's this woman pouring perfume over the, the Lord's body. There were times when the, you would go to someone's home and they would wash your feet and kind of you know freshen you up a little bit because everybody stunk <laughs> pretty bad. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is not about that. This is, I can imagine, here's a guy who did not have a home. For the last three years of his life, he literally relied on benefactors like the women, Mary and Martha, who were part of the team of women who were making things, buying and selling things, and using that money to help support the ministry. Jesus was not working. He was not drawing honorariums. He, wasn't, he didn't have any residual. He didn't have a side hack, you know. What he did have, though, was a mission to fulfill. And don't you love the way that Jesus has the cognitive dissonance? We're enjoying a meal. I'm enjoying this treatment here for my physical body. But you know what? This isn't about that. It's really about the spiritual. I'm going to die. And this is what you do. And knowing, too, that his death would happen just a couple hours before the end of that Friday, the Passover and the Sabbath would begin at sundown. They had to rush quickly to anoint his body and prepare it for burial knowing that it was going to have to sit through the Sabbath and they couldn't go back and put ointments and spices and things on it to help it naturally decompose. They're dealing in the natural, but Jesus, of course, in the supernatural. Why? Why not? Because it's his Father's will. When you get right down to it, in many ways you could say that Jesus came to earth as a spy of sorts. 
You know, in the same kind of uh, cover of darkness, God has a history throughout scripture of using the spies to kind of find out what's really going on. But Jesus didn't spy in secret. He was right there in broad daylight for everyone to see with a mission of love, a mission of hope, and a mission of forgiveness and reconciliation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Your sins are forgiven because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. Do you believe that? Okay, now once you do believe it, how do we show the rest of the world that we are Christians? By our love for God and our love for each other. We understand that when you meet a fellow Christian, part of the blessing of being with that fellow Christian is the fact that you both know my sins have been forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Debt has been canceled. Sin has been wiped away. We forgive each other because God forgave us. We can forgive others and pray the prayer that Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. Why? They know not what they do. We don't help anybody draw any closer to the kingdom of God by condemning lost people for being lost. But what we can do is to say, look, I know what you're going through. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You don't have to be a spy in this world to figure out who needs the gospel. All you need to do is let your light so shine before others that they would see your good works, but glorify your Father who's in heaven. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.